0: to start off by telling a story this morning and um, it's been kind of interesting. Uh, I shared it with a couple of friends that uh, most of you in this room are old enough to remember uh, Penn and Teller, the comedians out of Las Vegas. And um, I heard a story from Penn last week that really was kind of an eye opener. And basically it went something like this. He was talking about the fact that he doesn't have a whole lot of respect for people who claim to know Jesus. He says, I don't have a lot of respect for you. And someone asked him why. He goes, well, I'll tell you why. He says, if you really do believe that there's a God, and this God, and by the way, he's an atheist. And he said, and this God loves me so much that he would send Jesus to die on a cross so that I did not have to spend eternity in hell. And by the way, he's sharing the gospel as he's telling this story. He knows it. But here's the thing. He says, if there really is a God and you believe in him and that he has a son named Jesus who died on a cross to pay the price for our sins, and if I don't accept him, I'm going to hell for all eternity. He goes, why is it that you're so sheepish about this thing that you believe in? He goes, how many times have I met Christians who say they believe this, but then they're almost apologetic when they talk about it? It's like they almost feel bad for bringing it up. If you really believe that I was going to hell for all eternity, why don't you convince me? For the love of God, he says, convince me that what you say you believe in is real because if I don't accept it, I'm going to hell for all eternity. Why will you not try to convince me of that? He goes, but what I get is a sheepish, you know, there is a God. He goes, really? Are you convinced that there is? Because I said I don't see much confidence in you. So this is coming from an atheist. How many think he has some legitimate comments? They're legitimate. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the, what? Power unto God unto to all who will believe. Bottom line is, are you ashamed of it or not? Do you really believe he's there or not? Because if he's there, we ought to be able to at least talk with some amount of confidence and boldness, because that's what he says in Acts eight. I've given you all power to go out and be witnesses. In 2 Timothy, he says, I'm not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. He says, I'm not giving you sheepishness. I've given you boldness. And yet, when we talk about it, it's like, well, you don't want to offend anybody. They might get upset. They might be frustrated with me. Really? Because if we really did believe that if we don't say something, we're going to hell for all eternity. That would make us something, right? Well, I don't want to force my religion. Well, you shouldn't force your religion. Because you shouldn't have religion, you should have relationship. So with all that, Acts chapter 16, if you would turn there. Acts chapter 16. And as you're turning there, uh, last week we looked at being filled with the Holy Spirit versus being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus and have a relationship with Him, well, you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit as we looked at last week. However, to be filled with the Holy Spirit requires you to be in His Word, right? Right? You need to be in His Word. You need to be walking in obedience. You need to be growing daily in your relationship with Him if you want the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's that filling that's going to give you the power and the boldness to do everything that God wants you to do. And As we look at the next text of Scripture, you're also going to see an obvious demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit at work versus demonic power. And by the way, notice once again that when God is at work, Satan doesn't let that go unchallenged. We've said that over over and over many times throughout the years. When God is at work, Satan does not want to let that go unchallenged. And so uh, just a few verses earlier, we saw the people of Macedonia coming to Jesus. And as people were coming to Jesus, and Lydia, his family, was coming to Jesus, Satan immediately begins to show up on scene and start a menace, right? He begins to stir the pot. So let's just look at the story. I'm going to read verses 16 through 24, and then we'll uh, kind of draw out some things about the story here. In uh, verse 16 says this, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her master's much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they saw or threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stock. Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. I ask, God, you'd help us to learn what you'd have for us to learn. And then, Lord, that we would apply it when we're done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you see right away, notice the visitor who shows up as Paul and Silas go to prayer. So first of all, she was a girl that was possessed with a demon, or in other words, a spirit of divination, as our, as our word of God says. So she's possessed by a demon, and uh, she was used to bring her her owner much money. And I'm going to think about this. You know, as you first read it, you think, well, how in the world did this girl bring her master money? Well, let me give you a little bit of a historical lesson here. According to the New American Commentary, Greeks and Romans put great stock in divination. In other words, they looked to them as a sorcerer, as a source of information. And so no commander would set out on a major military conquest or campaign, nor would an emperor make an important decree without first consulting an oracle to see how things might turn out. They believed in the power of Satan. They believed in the power of these demons to be able to foretell the future, to be able to tell them what was going to happen should they go in this direction. And so uh, a slave girl with a clairvoyant gift or so what should they claimed she would have was thus a veritable gold mine for an owner or master. So in other words, this little girl who had a spirit of demons in her was being used by a master or an to basically gain profit. To, you know, so as people of the city, if you were an entrepreneur, if you were a businessman, if you were an army commander or chief, if you were somebody in authority that was about to make a decision or, or go into battle, you would consult this little girl who had the spirit of clairvoyant to find out how it might turn out. And, of course, there would be a fee associated with that. If you want to know how things are going to turn out, you're going to have to give me a wedge of gold. You're going to have to give me something for my information back to you. Doesn't matter whether it's real or not, if they believed in it, right? They would have to pay for it, and then that would make her master, her owner, a lot of money. And so many people, believing that she could foretell future events, would pay for her pay her master handsomely for her services. And verse 17, you see that what in the world's going on here? Uh verse 17 kind of changes the shifter, the focus just a little bit. Look at verse 17. So he always says this. Uh, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God. So this girl is following Paul and Silas wherever she, wherever they went. And for a moment, you know, she's proclaiming that Paul and Silas were servants of the Most High God. True or false? True. And so she's proclaiming this, and uh, she proclaimed that Paul and Silas proclaimed the way of salvation. So here's a girl who's got the spirit of divination or a demon in her, proclaiming that Paul and Silas were proclaiming truth and that they were sharing the gospel and that they would lead people to the way of salvation. And uh, she did this for several days. But you find out what happens here. Verse 18, And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turning and said to the Spirit... So this is where it kind of caught me off guard just for a moment. Why is Paul annoyed at this? God is using a, a, a seemingly using a demon-possessed girl to share the truth of what Paul and Silas were there about. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Why did Paul take offense at her words? I mean, after all, her words were true. Paul immediately commands a demon to come out of her. So Paul was literally protecting the testimony and character of the Lord. And while the girl's proclamation may have been true, the source of her motives and actions were false. You say, well, what's the big problem? Well, here's the problem. In one sense... If she could align herself with Paul and Silas's teaching as they're gaining some popularity going throughout the towns and villages, well then I mean, if this girl is with them, so to speak, well then that just gives her more credibility, right? I mean, after all, she's proclaiming truth, using Paul and Silas to gain notoriety, and uh, you know that would possibly once again begin to make her master, her owner more money. She would be profitable once again. So it would gained credibility to make her profitable once again. And so Paul was not about to let that happen and, and to be used like that. Paul said, no, nah, nah, that's not going to happen. You're not going to use us. You're not going to use the gospel to bring your owner and your master money from us. You're not going to use us to gain profitable. So consider what the Word of God tells us regarding these things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, it says this, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You see, Satan will use any means possible, including the name of Jesus Christ, to accomplish his own agenda. And Paul says, you're not going to use us, and you're not going to use the name of Jesus Christ, to make yourself profitable and especially kind of mix in a little bit of truth with your erroneous ways and to make sure and and to try to appear as though it's all good and all right and all okay. Satan will often mix a little bit of truth in with false teaching to convince would-be followers of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1 verse 34 it says, Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak Why? Because he knew them. And for a moment, Paul was practicing this. He says, I'm not going to let this girl, even though what she may have said may be mixed with truth, I'm not going to let her proclaim these things knowing who she was. In Luke chapter 4, verse 41, it says, And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. So the bottom line is, he's, Paul says, you're not going to mix a little bit of truth, proclaim even a little bit of truth, knowing who you are and where you come from, and attach yourself to us. So he was protecting the integrity and the truth of the gospel from this demon-possessed little girl. At Paul's command, the demon came out that very hour. You know, think about this. Um, If you've ever read through the book of Mark, the first half of the book, Jesus is over and over and over again doing one thing, casting out demons. Is that something that doesn't happen anymore? I'm just wondering. That's right. So we kind of in this mindset that, well, that's something of yesteryear. That's something that doesn't happen anymore. That's something that Jesus did. Folks, I'm telling you, there is a world that is sick, that is dying, that is, I think, even oftentimes possessed, and they need the truth. They need people who are going to stand up and and call out the falseness of their teaching. And this authority, by the way, came from Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, he says, And he went up to the mountain and called to himself those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed the twelve and that and they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Jesus gave them the authority and the power to cast out demons and that's exactly what Paul was doing here. It wasn't cuz Paul was so great. It wasn't that he himself had so much power that they, you know that not, you know the demons just going it was God working through him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. He says this is one of the things that they saw that the power of God was upon them because of what they do, were doing and how God used and worked through them. You know, even today we have the power and the ability to defeat Satan. Do you realize that? Do you understand that? You know, now let me let me say something here. We oftentimes are, are quick to say, well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did it because you wanted to do it. I do what I do because I want to. Anyone else you know, honest enough to admit it? When I sin, it's because I choose to sin. When I want to do something wrong, I have that still small voice, the Holy Spirit, the conscience telling me, no, nah, that's probably not best, Ken. I, no, Ken, I don't think you should do that. And I justify, rationalize, and, and excuse because I'm good at it, and so are you doing what we want to do. But when there are circumstances of, 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 of Satan working, James chapter 4, verse 7 gives us a solution. He says, therefore, submit to God. You see, if you're busy submitting to God, you won't be submitting to a devil. If you're submitting to God, you won't be submitting to demons. You see, it has to be a conscious choice and a decision that we are making when we want to live a holy and righteous life is that we have to submit to God. You cannot submit to the flesh and to the Holy Spirit at the same time. The one that you feed will win out and control your life, right? So he says, therefore, submit to God. That's the first thing. Number two, resist the devil. Now, would God ever tell you to do something and not give you the power to do it? Do you believe that? So that means if I believe God's word and I really take it to heart, if I resist, he will flee. And so we have the power, we have the ability to overcome the the devil's impact in our lives. So once the demon was cast out, of, cast out, everything was hunky-dory from that moment on, right? I mean, Satan was kicked out, and I mean, everything is all a peachy rose. I mean, a rose that just lined with gold. I mean, everything was perfect from that moment on, right? Don't you just wish that if you just resist, everything's going to be perfect? I'm just telling you. I've said it over and over and over again. And especially as we've been going through the book of Acts, is when God is at work, Satan does not like to let that go unchallenged. He's done it here. When God is at work, when somebody is getting saved, when people are committing their life to Christ, when they're getting, you know, saying no to sin and trying to become righteous and holy, Satan is at work saying, oh, this is good, and this is, this is appealing, and you need this, and this will help you feel better, and this will make you happier. And I mean, Satan is just at work fighting everything we do to be right and holy before God. Anybody else ever notice that? We see it over and over throughout the book of Acts. That Satan is at work every time. Every time we see Paul and Silas and Peter working, Satan just goes into overdrive over and over again. So he commands the demon to come out of this girl, and immediately everything's perfect from this point on, right? No. So what happens? The girl's master gets torqued. How do I know that? Look at verse 19. It says, But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone... I mean, that was it. I mean, you messing with my money. I mean, there's certain things you don't deal with. You don't mess with my money, right? Fighting comes on. I mean, I mean th- we're putting the gloves on now because you're messing with my money. I mean, you, I mean Paul says, you can do whatever you want. You can go preaching from town to town, village to village. You can do whatever you want. Oh, wait a minute. Now you've affected my pocketbook. Now I'm ticked. Isn't that how it works? Is that any different than the politics of today? I mean, it's the same thing, right? You can do whatever you want until it starts affecting my pocketbook, right? And now we, I mean, let's be honest, we feel that way. Do whatever you want until you start messing with my pocketbook. So that's what happens here. So the girl's master gets ticked off because he claimed he was losing money because Paul has demanded that the demon be released from her. So he brought Paul and Silas before the magistrate and lied about Paul and Silas troubling the city. We see that in verse 20 and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. What are they doing? Well, they're teaching customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. I mean, they shouldn't even be opening their mouths. We are Romans. They are Jews. We should have nothing to do with them. They are making things bad for us. They're troubling us. They claim that Paul and Silas were teaching falsely, and he convinced the multitude to go against Paul and Silas. How do I know they did that? Well, look at verse 22. Then the multitude rose up together against him, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. I mean, this man, whose pocketbook was affected, he got so mad that he forced them and drugged them to the magistrates. And the magistrates, being convinced of what this man was saying being true, says these men take take their clothes off. How many want to be a Christian at this point? How many want to be like Paul and Silas at this point? Right? Yeah. You say that until we're actually there getting our getting our backs beaten, right? That's not something we often sign up for. I would love to say before you this morning, I'd do that. Man I wanna say that I would, but until you have a gun to your head, how are you really gonna? I'd like to say, I'd like to think I would respond right. I would like to say, I'm committed. I would like to say, God, I would stand up for you no matter what. In my heart and in my mind, I want to be able to say that. Anyone else? But if I can't do it to my neighbor, follow me. If I can't have the boldness, if I don't have the boldness to even talk to my neighbor, my coworker, my friends, my loved ones, how in the world do you think I'm gonna stand up against authority, threatening to beat the tar out of me? You follow me? It's one thing to say that I would do that. Paul put his money where his mouth was. He says, I don't care. And we could look at a dozen other passages where Paul stood up against the enemy, against the crowd, against the would-be. Rulers of the universe, and he says, for to me to live as Christ and to die is what gain he says, if you die if I die, I win. if I stay alive i'm I'm still winning. For to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I don't know man i I want to be able to say that my heart and my mind I want to be able to say I would do this. But practically speaking, if I can't talk to my neighbor, friend, coworker, love, neighbor, relative, what what makes me think I would stand up against an enemy who's going to beat the tar out of me? Wow, that would make us think. And so the magistrate responded in anger, having given into what the crowd wants. A- and you know what? That's usually what happens. We, w- when the crowd is given into, usually nothing good happens. When you give into to what the crowd wants, usually nothing good happens. So Paul and Silas were beaten with rods, according to verse 22. And then verse 23 says, And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. I mean, they, I mean it wasn't just enough to throw them behind the bars. We're going to put them in stocks. Because we want to make it uncomfortable for them while they're behind bars. You know what stocks are you know, the idea of the, you know, the ox and, and putting them in the, in the stirrups or chains or whatever it looked like in that day. I can tell you one thing, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't something we'd sign up for. It's not something that we would want. But they were thrown into prison, bound securely in stocks. In short, Paul and Silas were facing persecution once again. You know, I was thinking about this. The Bible gives us well over a hundred verses that talk about persecution. Well over a hundred verses. Let me just give you a few. Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 through 12 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Really? Blessed? That's not my idea of blessing. I mean, if you're going to hurt me, I don't think that is a blessing. Anyone else want to admit? I, I don't think of that as blessing. I don't want to be hurt. I don't like pain. Anyone else not like pain? I don't like to be hurt. I don't like, my, my goodness, I cut myself and I'm like, man, how did I do that? It's like, oh, that hurts. I, I'm a baby. I'm telling you, I don't like pain. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They understand that this world is not their home. Heaven is. And what we go through here is nothing compared to the glory that we're going to look view as one day. And he goes on to say, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward here on earth in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Don't l- Let me just tell you, you're not that special that you're the only one being persecuted. You're not that special. There's a whole bunch of people who got persecuted before you nothing about us 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 14 says but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled does it bother you when someone makes a threat does it bother you I don't know in our flesh we get a little worried and a little upset when oh they got mad at me because I shared something with them that they didn't agree with and we look at that as persecution that's not persecution come on let's be honest that's not persecution. That's a difference of opinion. So build a bridge, and cry me a river, get over it. You know, that's not persecution. But he says, don't worry about it. People are going to say things. Let people talk. You know what you believe, stand on it. First Peter 4, 12-14 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Once again, he goes, you're not that special. It's the only one that's happened to you. Now, there's a whole bunch of people that are going through it. You're not that special. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. He says, you want a little bit of a taste of what Christ went through? That's what this is, just a little bit of a taste. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So just in those three texts, we see three times he says, you're blessed if you go through persecution for standing up for what is right. Verse 16, he says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So if you are persecuted for standing up for what's right, he says, bring glory to God through it. Let God be glorified through it. And then verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Think about that. He says, this is the perspective. This is the mind that you should have. And we didn't even get into the phrase. It says, yea, and all who are in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. I don't know about you, but I, I was just having this conversation with Dave yesterday as he, as he got here. We were driving down the road. I, I remember very distinctly I was in college when President Bill Clinton got elected for his second term. And I remember everybody around me, I mean everybody, every person in authority, all these upperclassmen, I mean they are boo-hooing and crying and like, oh, this world is going to hell and, and blah, blah, blah. You know, the, I, mean, I mean, how dare we elect Clinton for his second term? How dare we have this guy in office and how dare? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, years later, how many would rather have Clinton than what we got now? That was actually pretty good compared to what we got going on. I mean, think about that. Just when you think things can't get no worse, eh, wrong again. You think, can things get any worse? They will. Trust me, they will. Here's the thing there's a world that we're living in that needs Jesus. And the world is not going to stand up for what's right. And at some point, we're going to have to make a decision because I don't see things getting any better. Anyone else? I I mean, I've never put a set of tires on my car that got better with time. I've never put a roof on that just got better over the years. I've never seen anything built that got better. Why? Because everything tends towards decay and degeneration, including the moral of mankind. Right? Things are not going to get better. Accept it. What do we read in Proverbs 16? He even created evil for the day of doom. Because there's going to be a day when God says enough is enough. I don't know when that day is. In fact, God's word says he's going to come as a thief in the night. In a moment that you don't expect it. All right? And and I don't know when I'm going to die, so therefore I just need to be ready. Acts fourteen twenty two says, "Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith by saying, We must through by many tribulations enter the kingdom of God.'" I have to believe that before it's all over, we're going to experience some things that we wouldn't choose. If that's the case, so be it. If we're going to have to go through some hardships to stand for Christ, so be it. I wish I could just say, I, "I'm going to be, I'm going to be prepared." I'm going to stand up with all the confidence in the world, in God. I'm just going to respond right. <laughs> nah, I know my flesh. I mean, I want to I wanna build my arsenal. I want machine guns. I want tanks. I want fighter jets. I'm ready to go. Right? No, because here's the problem. You don't fight against flesh and blood. It's against the wicked one. And when we come to realize that, we need to put our faith and trust in God, not just for salvation, but for daily strength. Philippians 1.29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. Question, what does it say if we're not going through any type of suffering whatsoever? Oh, I would go to the cross for Jesus. Right, but I won't talk to my neighbor. How often is that true? I mean, God, I will go to the firing squad for you, but I'm not going to talk to my coworker. I mean, God, I will die for you in a crime I mean, I'll go to the guillotine God, but I'm not going to talk to my relatives. They already think I'm strange because I'm a Christian. Think about this, folks. I got at least solid three coming back at me not just you it's all of us we have got to get a dose of holy boldness and that comes once again as we talked about last week by being filled with the spirit it's only when when the disciples wanted to go and he says wait a minute you're not ready yet what 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 did he say that had to happen before they could do the work they called them to do they had to be what filled you can't do it in your own flesh you can't do it in your own strength you can't do it in your own wisdom you need the Holy Spirit to have the boldness He wants you to have. And when it's all said and done, 2 Corinthians 4, 8-12 says, we are hard-pressed on every side, crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about the, in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He said, all this that we go through is for what? so that you might see a picture of Jesus in us as we're going through it. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, and the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so then death is working in us, but life in you. He says we may die, but Christ is going to use us to bring life through it. And we're so worried about, I haven't put myself here. I like the comforts of this life. I like a decent car. Anyone else? I mean, who would rather drive a nice car over a piece of junk? Anybody? Some of y'all lying. I'd rather have a nice car than a piece of junk. If you don't say that, you're a liar. I'd rather have warm clothes than and, and nice clothes than ragging you know rag rags, you know from Goodwill. I, I'm just I'm, I mean I don't mind them. I wear them. I wear, in fact, a lot. Six dollar Timu. I mean, think about it. I I don't know. I I don't care. I don't have. To, I mean, we we want the niceties of life. I mean, how many would rather have three meals a day than once every four weeks? Come on, let's be honest. We like the comforts of this life. We don't want to give those up. And we don't want anybody to be upset with us. And we don't want to make anybody, you know, you know, a little bit wishy-washy about what they believe concerning us, because we want them to like us. We want to be want to be our friends, right? At some point, we are going to have to take a stand, and I believe that stand is going to have to is is coming soon. But don't say you're willing to go to the guillotine for Jesus if you're not willing to talk to your neighbor, because that's lying. You, who are you fooling? You're not fooling God. You're deceiving yourself. You say, "Well, I would go to the, I would go to death for Jesus, right?" But you can't talk to your neighbor. We're lying to ourselves. I'm guilty of that. I've been asking God to to give me some opportunities, and I've been talking to a guy named Ben this last couple of weeks. He said, "I said, Ben, so what? You know, we've been talking for a couple of weeks now, and and uh, kind of, you know." building this little bit of relationship, and I said, so Ben, what what is your church background? I said, did you grow up in church? I mean, did you ever go to church with your family as a kid? Did you ever go to church with your grandpa, grandma and grandpa when you were a kid? He goes, oh, yeah, you're Catholic, man. We went, you know, a couple times a year. I said, oh, you're a Christer. And he kind of looks at me, and he goes, what's a Christer? Oh, a Christer. I said, you, Christmas and Easter. He died, man. He was laughing his head off. He goes, yeah, I guess you could say I'm a Christer. <laughs> you know, and we joke about it, but you know what? The world is okay. You know, we don't say a word because we think we're going to offend them. And yet, joking about it, opened a door for a conversation. When's the last time you opened a door to a conversation to share Jesus? Seriously, answer that question in your mind. When's the last time you did that? I'll go to death for Jesus, right? But I won't talk to my neighbor. I mean, I have to see them all the time. They're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm off a rocker. They're going to think I'm a holier-than-thou. When you start looking at what they went through for the cause of Christ, we don't even understand. We don't. I admit that. I've never had to be beaten because I stood for Jesus. I have no scars on my back from being whipped. None. Anyone else have them? I, I I don't know anybody that's got them. Am I saying that you have to? No, I'm saying when God opens a door, what do we do with it? No, I'm not saying, well, you know, after the service is out, we're just going to start out here, we're going to go door to door, and we're going to slam people with the gospel. I'm saying take the opportunities to stand up that God gives you. And I believe that when you ask for them, you think God's not going to give them to you? God, would you give me an opportunity to share my story with somebody? Nope, sorry. <laughs> Don't worry about it. you got to pass on this. That's God, right? I don't believe that. I believe that if we're willing to be used of God, and remember, I've said it a thousand times, you ought to have this verse memorized, Second Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of God run what? To and fro throughout the whole earth to find those who are really gifted, to find those who are really, really, really smart, to find those who are super, super talented. He says, I'm looking for one person, the person who has a mature heart, that I can show myself strong through. He says, I will use anybody who will let me use them. That's Second Chronicles 16.9. I don't have to be smart. I don't have to be gifted. I don't have to be talented. I don't have to know all the verses. I have to be willing. That's what it requires. Tommy, I'm going to just brag on you just for a moment. Tommy Van Duren, that guy calls me about every other day. Um, and he's usually typically telling me about somebody that he shared Jesus with. Regularly. Thank you. That is such a blessing and encouragement. I mean, he just, he's at the store. Hey, you got a church? Let me tell you, I know where a church is if you need a church. By the way, do you know Jesus? Are you saved? I mean, that guy, he just does it to everybody. See, it's not that hard if you just do it. But you can't be afraid, he can't. Some days, people are going to say, eh. In other days, it's like, priester, what's that? ha, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I was a priester. <laughs> you loved it. It opened the door for a conversation. Folks, take the step. Paul's step caused him to get beat, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, drug out of the city. We have got it so easy. And most time we just don't care. If we cared, we'd do something about it. We do things for people that we care about. We step up when we are concerned about the results. What is it that God wants to do? Last verse I'm going to read before we look at communion just for a moment. I want you to know God loves you so much loves you and his love ought to compel us to live for him in Romans chapter 8 verses 35-39 through 39 says who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword rhetorical questions right can any of these things separate us from love no no for your sake, we're killed all the day long, counted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are what more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves us so much, He's going to be with us no matter what we do, no matter where we go. He loves us. And in the gospel, he says, for the love of Christ constrains me. What motivates us? He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And he says, my commands are not grievous. So if we're walking in obedience and doing what he's asked to do, it's because we love him. And if we're not, the same is also true. It's probably because we don't love him as we ought. Right? Let's be honest. He's called us to serve, and that service oftentimes will have consequence. So Paul is just seeing people saved as he's going from village to village, town to town. You know, last week he was in uh, Troas, and he, you know he's there, and he wants to go, and he, God says, no, you can't go here, you can't go to Bithynia, you go to Macedonia. And he gets to Macedonia, God works through him, families are coming to Jesus, and Satan starts to work. I'm just going to tell you, you think your life is easy? Start doing some conscious effort to share Jesus. You'll begin to see how Satan will work and disrupt. He always does. it's what he's called us to. And just know that he loves us. He's going to be with us. He's going to take care of us. But he wants us to surrender. Are you willing to surrender to what he has for you? even if it means persecution. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would respond correctly. Lord, thank you for the example of Paul and Silas. Lord, uh, we know it wasn't easy for him, or Silas. Lord, we know it wasn't easy. As they shared the gospel, as they preached the truth of Jesus, Lord, there was opposition. And Lord, this particular case, it came in the form of a demon-possessed girl. And I ask, dear Father, Lord, that we would just know that when we stand up for what's right, as we speak the truth, that you're going to be with us. Even if we go through persecution, even if we go through trial, even if we go through difficult times, Lord, we know that you're going to be with us. Your love is there for us, and nothing can separate us from your love. And Lord, even if we die, as Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to live with a boldness, and a a courage, Lord, to stand up for what we know is right, to speak the truth of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear it. God, thank you for the example of Paul and Silas. Lord, may we learn from it. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment that no one be looking around. Every week as we come to the close of the service, we give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. I don't know if God has challenged you. I don't know if he's spoken to your heart. But if he has, what will you do about it? Maybe during this message you said, hey, I need to have that boldness. Maybe during this message you say, well, I'd go, to, I'd go to death for Jesus, but I haven't been willing to talk to my neighbor. Maybe this morning God's convicted you of that. Maybe this morning you say, hey, things need to change. God spoke to me. I'm convicted in some areas. You say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me this morning? Anyone like that? Yes. In the front and the back. Yes. All over. Anyone else say, Pastor, that's me. If I'm being honest, I haven't opened my mouth. I haven't shared the gospel with anybody. Yeah, thank you. appreciate it. Can I just challenge you? God's word says, to him that knows to do right, doesn't do it, it's sin. So, Lord, forgive me. And God's word tells us in 1 John that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, at that moment, we say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. In sincerity, God says, I will forgive you. I'm so glad that he's a God of second chances and third chances and 110th chances and so on. I'm so thankful that God is patient with me. Maybe this morning we just need to take a moment and say, God, forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me boldness and go do it. Lord Jesus, thank you for each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning. Lord, I, my hand is raised. There are days that I do it well, and there are days that I don't even think about it. God, forgive me. May it be at front and center, Lord, every day as you give me opportunities. As I'm out and about, God, may I look for opportunities. And, God, may I seize those opportunities as you give them to me. But, Lord, for every one of us in this room this morning, Lord, may we all take this to heart. May we all, Lord, realize that to know to do something and not do it that's that is right and that is commanded in Scripture, it's sin. Help us to view it as sin, God, and help us to be ashamed of it. And, Lord, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. But Lord, be with each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that we would truly, Lord, just come to that place, Lord, where we live with a sense of urgency, with a sense of, Lord, commitment to, to share a gospel with those who need to hear it, realizing, as Penn said, Lord, if you really believed in this and if I, you don't tell me and if I'm not convinced of it, I'm going to hell Lord, may we live with that kind of urgency and, and commitment Lord to share the truth of the gospel and Lord if we do have to face persecution Lord, knowing that you're going to be there with us you'll give us everything that we need to get to withstand and Lord, might we just trust you Lord more to see your hand at work in our life to see people come to know you we pray for this week. This week, Lord, work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name.